You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you'd like more of these shows, then go on over to patreon.com slash attaboysecret and sign up. You can gain access to over 60 never-before-released editions of Attaboy Clarence, as well as invites to monthly film club screenings, movie commentaries, previews, behind-the-scenes news, all kinds of things. Go on over to patreon.com slash attaboysecret, or click the link in the show notes, and I will see you there. Hello and welcome to Attaboy Clarence. Did you have a nice Christmas? Did you get lots of nice presents, eat a lot of nice food? Did you see the people you love? Me too. And then I coughed all over them because I've had the flu. God, I've been ill now for a week. Can't eat, can't drink, just lie there shivering like someone who's just got back from seeing cats at the cinema. I must apologise, I had such good intentions for the Yuletide period. I had things to tell you about Christmas things. I had a release schedule of lots of festive treats, but being unable to talk really hampers your workflow when you're a podcaster. So yes, I've just had to let this Christmas slip past me. Worst part is, I can't even fall back on the trusty crutch of alcohol to ease the blow, because I'm completely off it now. But today being Saturday, that odd, numb period between Christmas and New Year's where you feel a little bit deflated because it's all over, but a little bit excited because you've still got New Year's to celebrate. Yay. I thought I'd get out of my sickbed and shuffle on over to the microphone to tell you about some of the movies I've been catching up on while I was led in my pit of plague. You may be able to hear that my voice is not at its optimal pitch, so my apologies. I've got a chat with Brooke Darnell coming up later, though, so you will hear one attractive voice today. I've got some movies to tell you about and even a Christmas song that's now out of date. All from the paracetamol-addled mind of a man still suffering from the flu. Don't worry, though. I'm assured you can't catch it through your podcast app. But believe it or not, mine isn't the most depressing voice you're going to hear today. So now Toby Reed with a word of something that is really a matter of life and death. And that is, Toby, a blowout, Walter. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a blowout in one of the tires on your automobile. Did you ever stop to think that if you're driving at today's top speed of 35 miles an hour and a blowout swerves your car into an oncoming truck, which travels at the same speed, the resulting crash has a force of 70 miles an hour? Now, that's enough to double you right over the steering wheel and push the engine through the dash. Merry Christmas! Yet there is actually no need for a blowout to throw your car out of control. Not if the car is equipped with Goodyear lifeguards. For the lifeguard is an inner tire, a two-ply safety tire within a tube. It replaces the conventional inner tube, and if your outer tire and tube blow, the inner tire of the lifeguard remains inflated. Holds the car steady so you can come to a sure, safe stop. Honestly, I think I'd rather die in a burning wreck than listen to this ad any longer. Ask your Goodyear dealer... My dealer? Your Goodyear dealer... Delia Smith? Ask your Goodyear dealer if he has any of the few lifeguards now available. If so, equip your car with lifeguards which are now ration-free. For remember, when your tire blows out, the Goodyear lifeguard never lets you down. 
And now, before the overture to the second act of the Gibson family, let's step backstage and look in on Sally Gibson and Hilda, her maid, who is helping Sally change for the next scene. Oh, this sounds saucy. Quick, Hilda, hold this dress. I've never been so excited in all my life. She's got tickets for Rise of Skywalker. Really wonderful, isn't it, Miss Sally? Too wonderful. That scene in the garden. It made me think of Henry, Miss Sally. Miss Sally, if I had your complexion, do you suppose Henry would... I think he definitely would. Henry's very into skin. Help me, what's wrong with my face, Miss Sally? Those red blotches just won't go away. Don't, probably. That's what you get when you drink furniture polish. What kind are you using? Some beauty soap, I suppose. Yes, Miss Sally. That one that promises radiant beauty, glamorous youth, irresistible loveliness. Oh, Miss Sally, I had hoped Henry would... I think Henry definitely will. He might even do it twice. And then I learned the truth. Hilda, you can't feed the pores of your skin with beauty oils or mysterious ingredients. That's what you think. Do you think Henry would... I don't actually think Henry would, no. He's more into missionary. No, Hilda will never get a Grecian nose by using a beauty soap. What a slogan. Talking of overtures, how's about a tune to get you into the festive mood? Pucker up! It's Margaret Whiting with the Mistletoe Kiss Polka. When the party starts and the night is young, go and find where the mistletoe's hung. And if standing there is a pretty miss, get yourself a mistletoe kiss. If she looks at you with her wondering eyes, just pretend it's a big surprise. You can find romance and a lot of bliss through a simple mistletoe kiss. While your arms are around her, your heart says you found her, and you won't astound her with your I love you. When the party's over, there you are. What do you say to her, Ma and Pa? They will understand when you tell them this. Blame it on the mistletoe kiss. And the night is young Go and find where the mistletoe's hung And if standing there is a pretty miss Get yourself a mistletoe kiss If she looks at you with her wondering eyes Just pretend it's a big surprise You can find romance and a lot of bliss Through a simple mistletoe kiss While your arms are around her Your heart says you found her And you won't astound her With your I love you Thank you, Margaret Whiting, for the mistletoe kiss polka. Absolute banger. 
So I was on the lookout for Christmas films I hadn't seen this year, and so 1940s Christmas in July caught my eye. Now, I hasten to say that this isn't a Christmas movie. Christmas in July is a saying used to denote a happy event that's out of the ordinary. It's like Christmas in July, which I found out when I started watching it. This is the story of a radio contest being run by the Maxford House Coffee Company, who are on the lookout for a creative new slogan. Thing is, the judges, headed by William Demarest, are stuck and can't decide. Jumping, Jehoshaphat! Do you happen to realize that we're on the air? Do you happen to realize that the whole of America is waiting for your verdict? That 120 million people are suspended from your lips? That you're giving heart failure to the Western Hemisphere? But we're all agreed, Dr. Maxford. It's only Bill Docker who's holding out. Oh, it is, is it? Well, let me tell you something, Mr. Bill Docker. You've been getting into my hair for the past 20 years, and I meant to mention it before. I'm going to give you just four seconds Oh, flat. no, you're not, Dr. Maxford. I'm a member of this jury, and I'm going to vote the way I think is right if it takes 10 years. One of the millions who've entered is down-on-his-luck office worker Jimmy McDonald, played by Dick Powell, who wants to use the potential prize money to marry his longtime fiancée Betty, played by Ellen Drew. Thing is, no one except Jimmy seems to understand the slogan he sent in. Can't you just see it over there in lights? The guy swallows his coffee, and it says, if you don't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. You gotta admit, that's some slogan. Uh-huh. Well, do you get the point? you understand what it means? Yes. What do you mean, yes? It's clear as crystal. It isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. If you don't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee that keeps you awake, it's the bunk. The bunk when you don't sleep. I know what it says. I've heard it a thousand times. I just don't understand it. Well, maybe you don't try to understand it. I should think a kid or two could understand that. This Viennese doctor in the Sunday paper says the old idea is just a superstition, that instead of keeping you awake, coffee makes you sleep. That's simple enough, isn't it? Coffee makes you sleep. Doesn't make me sleep. He's a Viennese doctor. If he says it makes you... Coffee keeps you awake, Jimmy. It's a well-known fact. Why are you so pig-headed about it? People think coffee keeps them awake. Those kind of people are nervous wrecks and can't sleep anyway, so why blame it on the coffee? So I say, if you don't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. Do you get it? I guess so. At his workplace, three of his co-workers decide to prank Jimmy by writing a fake telegram advising him that he's won the contest. But before they can admit their joke, the news of his win has spread far and wide. And now, I suppose you'd like to have the afternoon off while we get your office ready? Well, I'd, I'd certainly appreciate it, Mr. Baxter. Uh, can't she come along, too? Why, of course she can. And the little bird tells me what kind of store you're going to be visiting first. A little jewelry store, I'll <laughs> eh? <laughs> I guess you're not far along, Mr. Baxter. Mm. But first of all, I think I'll go over to Maxford House and pick up that little check. I won't spoil what happens after that, but I will tell you that if you're a fan of those fantasies along the lines of Brewster's Millions or the Million Pound Note, where a pauper suddenly finds himself in possession of a fortune, then you will completely dig this movie. It has such a good heart, and the things that Jimmy decides to do with his newfound fortune will make your heart explode with joy. As in other films like this, the fortune attracts the right kind of folks and the wrong kinds of folks, and the meat of the tale really comes as you find out who's worth a damn and who isn't. It's written and directed by Preston Sturges, which will give you an idea of the tone. Heartwarming, funny, bitter, and uplifting all at once. Preston Sturges is the closest that Frank Capra ever got to being satirical. 
I have to admit, I saw the punchline of this story a mile off, and I suspect that if you have your wits about you, then you will too. But the real joy comes in the characters, the plot developments, and the bundle of joy that the whole thing is wrapped in. It really is a witty and wise story, as well as being an acidic indictment on the fact that society is so in awe of those with a little wealth, a lesson that's never really gone out of fashion even in today's world. So yeah, it's not a Christmas movie, but 1940's Christmas in July will definitely lift your spirits and give you that same golden glow that you get from other good Yuletide fairy tales. Definitely check it out. I'll tell you which film will chase away the blues. 1935's Rendezvous. That's what. Best thing about this film is that you can't describe the genre. Is it a spy film? Yes, it is. Is it a love story? Yes, it is. Is it a comedy? Yes, it is. Is it a drama? Yes, and this is becoming repetitive. Is it awesome? Yes, it is. I'm on my way to France. I break a beautiful girl's heart to say goodbye. Bands playing, flags waving, bayonets gleaming in the sun, and what happens? I'm dragged here and loaded down with pens, pencils, erasers, eye shades, paper clips. Does that make sense? Can't figure it out, eh? No, sir. It certainly is a puzzle to me. Well, let's take a hypothetical case. Suppose you were in charge of this office and you'd been hunting high and low for months for a code expert. A fellow with a nom diploma of, of Anson Meredith. A fellow you thought you really needed. Am I boring you? Then suppose you found out that he'd been commissioned under his real name in the army. Some other branch that didn't need him nearly as much as you did. And that he was leaving for an embarkation point this morning. What would you do? William Gordon, played by William Powell, wants nothing more than to get himself to the war and get fighting those Germans, but he's just too darn talented at cracking codes and ciphers and what have you. The War Department, headed by Lionel Atwill and Samuel Hines, have decided that William will be much more useful in the code-breaking department, but they make a deal with him. If he'll help to crack a notoriously impregnable German code and round up a dastardly gang of Nazi spies, then they'll transfer him to the front. We can't read these. You think you could? I think so. What will you? No, sir. Huh? Because it's an I lose if I win proposition. <laughs> I don't understand you. If I decipher them, I'll get what I don't want, a permanent berth behind a desk. But this is the army man. You've got to do as you're told. I was brought here against my will, sir. But I can't be made to think against my will. Yes, I know exactly how you feel. Thank you. Look here. If you succeed in making anything of these, I might be able to arrange for you to have a whack of the enemy at a little closer range. Is that a promise, sir? That's all the time. Along the way, William also has to deal with the fact that he's fallen in love with Miss Carter, played by Rosalind Russell, who's desperately jealous of the attention he's paying to Nazi siren Olivia Karloff, played by Binny Barnes. This is basically the best film that Powell and Loy never made together. What an absolute joy this is from start to finish. Totally undefinable too. You'll laugh one minute, you'll get seriously hot under the collar with the romance of the thing, and then you'll gasp as key players are suddenly murdered. I mean it when I say this is undefinable. I applaud the fact that you never know what the next moments will throw at you. Plus, look at the cast. William Powell, Rosalind Russell, Lionel Atwill, Samuel Hines, Cesar Romero... Henry Stevenson, Charlie Grapewin, Murray Kinnell, Mickey Rooney, Sterling Holloway, Margaret Dumont, and be still my heart, the woman I'm totally in love with right now, Binny Barnes. For goodness sake, Binny Barnes, you absolutely set me on fire. Apparently this was going to be a vehicle 
for Powell and Loy, but she was on strike at the time, so they cast Rosalind Russell, who's very, very good in this, but you can tell that she is playing a Myrna Loy type. One of my favorite characters in it is Dr. Jackson, played by Frank Reicher, because every time he's talked about, I heard this in my head. Yes, this is Dr. Jackson. Comedy is really funny, the leads are all sexy as hell, the spy thriller behind it is really thrilling and super clever. I mean, this film has Sherlock levels of double-crossing and plan machinations behind it. And the 94-minute running time flies by without ever feeling too long. Honestly, Rendezvous from 1935 is the kind of film that will rekindle your love for old movies if it's starting to wane a little. It'll remind you just how much fun they are. Seriously, one of my favorite discoveries of this year. Track it down without delay. It is glorious. Well, one of the pleasures of my lifetime was catching up with everyone's favorite Library of Congress researching, tattoo-sporting, spectacle-rocking, dog-owner, secret history of Hollywood knowledge base, Miss Brooke Darnell. Now, I hasten to add, I caught up with Brooke the week before Christmas, so this conversation has a decidedly yuletide slant to it. The next day, the very next day, I was struck down by flu. Coincidence? The investigations are ongoing. Anyway, the first question I put to Brooke was what was on her watch list this year, and she picked some corkers. Brooke Darnell, she's a very clever mademoiselle. When you need some information found, she's half librarian and half bloodhound. Well, the first movie I watched was It Happened on Fifth Avenue. Have you seen that? No, what year is that? I think 47... But it has the skipper from Gilligan's Island in it. Oh, Gilligan's Island is not a thing here. So you're going to have to explain that to me too. I'm sorry, sorry. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. Gilligan's Island is huge here. (laughs) So um, there's a theme song that you might want to listen to. So sing it, please. Uh, Absolutely not. No, no, no. Sing it. (laughs) It's Christmas. There's no way. People are tree. Come on, Brooke. (laughs) It's not a Christmas song. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, fine. I'll tell you what, I'll drop a I'll drop a clip in right here. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic point aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailor man, skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. Okay, that was Gilligan's Island theme song. (laughs) So um, some people are shipwrecked on an island and... um, So like Lord of the Flies? No, it's much more civilized. Um, But people keep coming and visiting them, but they never get off the island. So like Lost? No, no, real like cute and goofy. So like Lord of the Flies? Like the monkey TV show. Okay, so the monkeys cross with Lord of the Flies, cross with Lost. This sounds amazing. No, like (laughs) (laughs) Happy Christmas. Anyway, back to the Christmas. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Sorry. (laughs) So there was a a Lux Radio play adapted. Really? By it. Okay. Yeah. So this um, homeless man goes into a mansion that's boarded up for the holidays. Because the second um, richest man in the world um, has gone south for the winter. 
Um, and then he comes across somebody else that's down on his luck. And so he invites him to come stay in the mansion and, you know, the lights work, the, there's food in the cupboards and, um, electricity works. And then the richest man's daughter goes missing and she goes home to, to this house and she pretends to be a homeless person as well. And then the second guy invites some of his army buddies to come stay in the house as well so there's just all these like wives and children and all these people living in this big mansion and this girl's still pretending to be homeless as well but then her dad finds out and she tells him she's in love with one of the guys and so he has to pretend to be homeless as well (laughs) to go live in this house so it's basically just a series of people pretending to be homeless and then inviting their not homeless families to to come and congregate in a house that was empty but is suddenly full right and it takes place over christmas it's really sweet it's really cute and it's like lost but lord of the flies no that was gilligan's island i'm not joking i I know i know i know i'm I'm joking (laughs) so who's in it tell us who's the skipper from gilligan's island wow which is like lost and Homeless. (laughs) Homeless. <laughs> Sorry. Who is the skipper from Gilligan's Island? You can't see. What is his name? <laughs> um, wait a minute. I wrote it down. This does sound like a really great movie, by the way. I, I do apologize for derailing your beautiful synopsis. <laughs> I'll allow it this time. <laughs> oh, th- thank you. It's a gracious. It's not Ricardo Montalban, is it? And that that guy from Man with the Golden Gun, Herb Villages. Or am I thinking of some other island? Is that Fantasy Island? Or Gilligan's Island. That's Fantasy Island. That's fa- of course, yeah, of course it is. What's that about? Fantasy Island. These people go on a ship. We don't have any island-based <laughs> programs in the oh, UK, <laughs> despite being an island that is, ref- you know, steadfastly refusing to be anything else <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Alan Hale. Alan Hale. Alan Hale. What from? Adventures of Robin Hood. No, th- I think that was his dad. Okay. And he's Alan Hale Jr. So Alan Hale Jr. is in Gilligan's Island. Yes. Yes. Okay, right. <laughs> I'm so glad we brought that. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Brooke. What, what else did you watch? <laughs> I watched a really creepy Christmas movie. Oh, th- then I'm dying to hear about this one. It's called Susan Slept Here. What year is this from? 54. Because even the title is creeping me out. Right. So this writer... He's like a movie writer. He's got writer's block, Mm -hmm. but I guess he's won like an Academy Award. So he's in his house and then these two cops show up Mm -hmm. and they remember him from when he was working on a set and they knew that he wanted to write a story about a teenager. So they brought um, him a teenager who's 17. Of course they would. Yeah. That's what all police do when writers decide they want a teenager in their house. Please continue. (laughs) (laughs) So her parents have abandoned her. Um, She's she's been arrested for vagrancy. She hit somebody, I think a policeman over the head with a bottle. So she's going to get locked up. But it's Christmas and they don't want to lock her up over Christmas. So they bring her to this writer's house. And in the movie, he's supposed to be um, 35. But I looked it up and he was actually 50. Um, <laughs> this is not weird at all. Please continue. And the guy is Dick Powell. 
Um, and the teenager is Debbie Reynolds. So how old was she at the time? I'm dying tonight. Um, 54. Hang on. She was 21. Okay. So you've got a 50-year-old 50, 50 man. Playing a 35-year-old, as you do. So he's got writer's block. So he says to the policemen who are, why do they come to the house, sorry? To bring him the teenager. Because <laughs> they were going to arrest her. And they didn't, and they felt bad, and they didn't want to arrest her over the over Christmas. So why didn't they take her to the house with all the families in from Gilligan's Island, or did they just <laughs> just think, no, you know what, would be that much was, better? That was ten years earlier. <laughs> what? Why did you watch this film? <laughs> I wanted to watch Christmas movies that I haven't watched, and this was on a list. I'm well impressed with the ones you've chosen. I really have to say, it's amazing. I can't believe the police now deliver 17-year-olds to 50-year-olds. I haven't gotten to the creepy part yet. <laughs> please, please do. So she's got like six months until she's going to be 18, and the writer finds out that after Christmas they're going to lock her up anyway. So he decides he should marry her. This is the best film of all time. Her mom wrote a note saying that she could marry anybody that she wanted whenever she wanted. So, of course, that makes it legal, I guess. Of course. So they go to Reno to get married, and he dances with her all night so they don't have to consummate the wedding. And then he brings her back to his apartment the next day, um, and then he goes to his cabin for six months, and he's going to um, uh, annul the wedding after that time so she doesn't get locked up. But, but you do realize that everything you just said was basically a fever dream. Oh, there's a g- dream sequence that's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Hang on, you're a 50-year-old. Mar- marries a 17-year-old. Dances with her all night because he doesn't want to consummate. He's 35 on the show. And then contrives a way to get rid of He's got a girlfriend. He's got a girlfriend who's Anne Francis and absolutely stunning. So in real life, Anne Francis... Uh, was 24 at the time. Uh, it's far too old. <laughs> but on the in the movie, she's 21. Oh, right. I see. Okay. So in the movie... Big, big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, a whole leap. Yeah. Oh, and so first, the male lead was supposed to be Mickey Rooney. Oh, and <laughs> that would have been weird. But the timing, <laughs> the timing didn't work out, so he dropped out. And then they were going to get Robert Mitchum to be the lead, but he refused and got fined $40,000 by RKO. I just I'm just trying to think of other people that could have played the lead in this like Charles Coburn and Shirley Temple. <laughs> this is like the creepiest one we've ever heard of. Is it any good? I mean, tell, tell us. Did it make you feel Christmassy? No, I was creeped out the whole time, but it was kind of fun. Cool. I mean, I'm looking at the poster right now. It's a pedophile's. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's like what's that movie that a doll's house? <laughs> no, not a doll. Lolita? No, not Lolita. The same one guy that wrote Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Tennessee Williams. Yes. Mm. I, I don't understand this film. I just, you know, a man has writer's block. Please deliver him a teenager. <laughs> Marries her, refuses to consummate the wedding because he has a. <laughs> Why can't my brain process this? I'm reading the synopsis now. Mark then slips away to a cabin in the Sierra Nevada mountains to work on his script with Maud. Who's Maud? That's his assistant that types up all his scripts. Her name is Maud Snodgrass. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I have to watch this film tonight. <laughs> <laughs> when Susan is seen eating strawberries and pickles, Mark's friends assume that she is pregnant. But he's left her in the care of his assistant, um, 
So he goes back to his apartment when he finds out she's been eating pickles and strawberries and punches him in the nose because he thinks that his assistant has um, uh, had an affair with his wife. And everybody's encouraging her to not leave, to stay, um, and and make this guy fall in love with her. Okay. Even though she's 17. This sounds brilliant. <laughs> Susan slept here. Okay, right. right. This is literally... I I'm a, I want to see this thing more than I want to see Rise of Skywalker. I'm going to see that tomorrow. Don't just just watch this on a loop. Okay, so is it is it good? Did you enjoy it? I'm not sad that I watched it. Okay, good. And what about the other one? What was that called again? It happened on Fifth Avenue. It takes place in New York. It happened on Fifth Avenue. Okay. And that's a very heartwarming film. That's definitely a, rec- a recommend. It's got a lot of gags. Like somebody gets clotheslined, so it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you brought to the table tonight. <laughs> love it. Fantastic. So, what are you gonna have for Christmas dinner? I'm intrigued. Um, like a vegan roast thing. Are you vegan? Mm, I eat eggs, but I try to be vegan. Yeah, that's basically my diet too. I try to be vegan. I can't give up cake. <laughs> <laughs> vegan cake is the worst, isn't it? It's so dry. It's like a cloth. It's a cloth. Or it's really heavy. <laughs> I'm totally with you. We went to a restaurant a while ago and they were like, we do vegan sticky toffee pudding. And we were like, oh my God, give us some of that, please. How was it? It was appalling. It was like eating a branch. Ew. Yeah, it was like eating a shoe, like a piece of dough. Yeah, I had a friend that would make um, chocolate cake and it had like coffee and all this stuff in it. Mm. And it was okay for like a bite, but you just, it was like eating fudge. It was just so dense and thick. Because <laughs> it can't rise, can it? You need eggs in there to make it rise, yeah. Right. So so you're having what? Sorry, vegan roast. Roast. Mm. So is that like nuts yeah. and things? No, because I'm allergic to nuts. <laughs> you suck, Darnell. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I don't know. It's like soy and then it's got stuffing in the middle. It's good. Good. And then we'll have like parsnips and carrots and rolls. And roast potatoes? Yes. Good. Gravy? No, I don't like gravy. We had some friends here for dinner tonight. And um, they they came and we thought. What did you make? Well, they said we'd like to come and have an early Christmas with you. So we thought, wow, well, you know, it's a good idea. So I had a like a practice Christmas dinner today. Oh. So I made a roast. I made a roast chicken and roast potatoes and Brussels sprouts and red wine gravy and Yorkshire puddings and roast parsnips and roasted carrots and yeah, but it was cool. We had like a practice Christmas dinner and mince pies. With rhubarb instead of mince, because I hate mince. Did you make the mince pies? Uh, no, I bought them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I would like to say yes, but I think you'll probably listen to this, so I can't lie. But yes, I did make them. That's <laughs> <laughs> the alternate version. I won't release them. <laughs> you don't like mince pies? Right I hate now? them. Yeah, they're appalling. Oh, you don't like fruit? They're a cancer on humanity. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Do you have them in the US? Yeah. What's the um what's the main Christmas snack over there? It's kind of like the same as, as Thanksgiving, so you'll have like a pumpkin pie. Cuz over here mince pies are everywhere. I mean it's mince pies and mulled wine, mulled cider. It's just everywhere. There's n- no mulled wine here. No mulled cider. What? Change this. <laughs> <laughs> if only I could. Yeah, like over there you you go to the like you go shopping and people are handing you mince pies. <laughs> mince pies, mulled wine. It's just everywhere. The whole place stinks of it at the moment. Yeah, mince pies and mulled wine. Because I would always go to 
um, London in November because my birthday's at the end of November. And like all the Christmas stuff would always be up, like all the lights and people were already handing out mince pies. It was great. You should come back. I know. I want to. When are you coming next? I don't know. I have to find a dog sitter. Tomorrow? <laughs> Come on, we'll take care of you. Okay. Fine, we got have mince pies and mulled cider. I'd love it. And you live out in the country. I do. You should come here for Christmas Day. Oh, let me just book my flight right now. Okay, bring Kevin. Bring the dog. <laughs> it's fine. We have two dogs here. They'll totally take care of you. My dogs don't like other dogs. Yeah, neither do ours. It would be ever so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be nonstop barking. So do you have a Christmas song that you want to hear on this podcast? Oh, I do. Go on. Mambo Santa. John Greer. We want to see Santa do the mambo. Well, have have a lovely, lovely, lovely weekend. And if I don't speak to you before, have the most amazing Christmas. And I hope your vegan roast is every bit as dreamy as you hope it will be. Well, I hope you have a wonderful holiday. We want to see Santa do the mambo. The mambo see Santa do the mambo. The mambo see Santa do the mambo. The mambo, mambo Santa Claus. We want to see Santa do the mambo. The mambo see Santa do the mambo. The mambo see Santa do the mambo. The mambo, mambo Santa Claus. You don't have to bring me a choo-choo train. My sis don't want a toy. Mom don't want a diamond ring, and Papa just wants some joy. We want to see Santa do the mambo, the mambo, see Santa do the mambo, the mambo, see Santa do the mambo, the mambo, mambo, Santa Claus. We like your tummy vegan round, your kisses have got around. Just want to see your mambo. And I hope you won't let us down. We wanna see Santa do the mumbo. The mumbo, see Santa do the mumbo. The mumbo, see Santa do the mumbo. The mumbo, mumbo, Santa Claus. Mambo on a cane, my mom is learning too. You shouldn't feel any pain, cause we can do the mambo too. But we wanna see Santa do the mambo, the mambo, see Santa do the mambo, the mambo, see Santa do the mambo, the mambo, mambo, Santa Claus. And my eternal thanks to the ever-wonderful Brooke Darnell there, the very spirit of Christmas herself. And if you want to follow Brooke, you can do so on Twitter at at SBDarnell. She and I are already hard at work on the Cary Grant series for The Secret History of Hollywood, which is coming soon. Another of the brilliant movies I discovered recently while lying on me sickbed was the absolutely brilliant 1942 crime thriller Kid Glove Killer. Starring Van Heflin, Marsha Hunt, and Samuel Hines again, and Lee Bowman. Here's a clip. 
Twelve hours ago, my friend, Hunter Turnley, was found murdered in Birch Lake. Badly beaten and bound hand and foot. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the underworld's first blow against the kind of city government Chatsburg is going to get under Mayor Richard Daniels. He asked me to get back on the air to tell you this, and also to tell you that he is more resolved than ever to exterminate every vicious political and criminal rat in this city. Good night. This was the kind of B-movie that MGM did particularly well. You have Van Heflin and Marsha Hunt as two forensic scientists, Gordon and Jane, who've been putting their skills to the task of helping Mayor Samuel Hines to rid the city of crime by solving some of the most baffling crimes there are. I hate this job, and you may think I'm a creep at it, but I do know how to make an analysis. After all, I didn't get my master's by slugging the Board of Regents. You have a master's in chemistry? I told you that when you okayed my appointment. Stuff they let out of college nowadays. They're aided by their best friend and potential love interest for Jane, Gerald Latimer, a radio attorney who's been using his platform to declare war on organized crime. But what no one knows is that Gerald Latimer is in fact in the pocket of the city's crime boss. When the mayor is savagely murdered at his home, Gordon and Jane are called in to determine the identity of the killer. How long before they realize that the trail is leading awfully close to someone they both love? Imagine the left is evidence and the one on the right is yours. They're the same. There are probably a hundred thousand matches like Jerry's in this town. Now, wouldn't I be a dope to think anything as flimsy as that is conclusive? <laughs> Does he mean I'm innocent? You shouldn't play gags like that on your friends. He'll be checking on me next. <laughs> Perfect little B-movie thriller this, with an impeccable cast and a truly involving story. The genius stroke is that it allows you to peer over the shoulder of Gordon and Jane as they're piecing the clues together. So you feel as though you're part of the forensics team looking out for clues and assembling the evidence with them. I find police procedurals immensely satisfying as long as they're handled right. And this is most definitely handled right. It's brief too, it's only 74 minutes long. And yet it packs in a wide array of characters, a whole host of motivations, and a wonderful central mystery that we know the solution to from the beginning, but which is an absolute delight to watch being unraveled by the two detectives. Also, Marsha Hunt is drop-dead gorgeous, and the love triangle with her at the center is witty and warm and very well played. As I say, B-movies were done by every studio in Hollywood, but no one did them quite like MGM, who seemed to afford them a greater sense of quality and care, even though they had lesser budgets. And how's about this for a piece of trivia for you? This was the directorial debut of Fred Zinnemann, the man who would go on to direct things like High Noon, From Here to Eternity, Man for All Seasons. Well, at the premiere of this movie, all the MGM executives got up and walked out of the screening, and at first, Zinnemann thought it was because his film was so bad. Turns out they'd all left the screening because the news had just reached them that Carol Lombard had been killed in an air crash. Honestly, the title of this film makes it sound lurid and cheap. It's not. It's very clever. It's very appealing. Hugely watchable. Make sure you seek out 1942's Kid Glove Killer. Well, for your radio entertainment this time, how's about a luxe radio theatre version of Preston Sturge's Christmas in July? the movie I told you about at the top of the show. This version features Dick Powell and Linda Darnell in the leads, and it's a gorgeous slice of old Hollywood entertainment to brighten up this in-between week of Christmas and New Year. So I'll leave you with that, and I'll see you afterwards. Lux presents Hollywood. The 
Lux Radio Theater brings you Dick Powell and Linda Darnell in Christmas in July with Raymond Walburn. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Lionel Barrymore. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. If you're wondering what's happened to my young friend, Cecil B. DeMille, well, don't worry. He'll be back next week. This week, he's in Chicago for an opening of the story of Dr. Wassell, and he's trusted me with the keys to the Lux Radio Theater. I happen to have a week off at Metro-Golden-Mare, where they're celebrating 20 years of making pictures by presenting a fine new production called The White Cliffs of Dover. Before C.B. left, he'd arranged for a play and a cast, which I'm sure you're going to like, and which has been a pleasure for me to work with. It's the Paramount hit, Christmas in July, and the stars are two favorites of yours and mine, Dick Powell and Linda Darnell. Naturally, boy meets girl in this story, but from there on, Mr. Preston Sturgis, who wrote and directed the picture, has a brand new idea which will give you a few surprises before the hour is over. If C.B. were here tonight, I guess he'd say something about Lux Flakes at this point. Well, now, I don't know much about laundry, but I do know that a theater like this is a wonderful thing for about 30 million people. To an old trooper like me, the idea of an audience enjoying these plays without buying a ticket is fantastic. But here it is. You don't have to buy a thing. Of course, the sponsor of this theater won't be exactly angry if you go out and try some Lux Flakes. But after you try it, then we want you to decide the whole matter on its merits. You see, we know just how it's going to come out. And now, let's go back a few years to a time when hearts were young and gay, and a certain boy and girl discovered Christmas in July. Here's the curtain for the first act, starring Dick Powell as Jimmy, and Linda Darnell as Betty, with Raymond Walburn as Maxford. <laughs> Five months ago, the Maxford House Coffee Company offered a $25,000 first prize for the best Maxford House coffee slogan. And in three minutes, over the Maxford House Coast to Coast radio program, the winner's name is scheduled to be announced. But something that even Dr. Maxford himself could not foresee has happened. After plowing through a million entries, the bleary-eyed and weary juries hopelessly deadlocked and now, into their hushed and solemn precincts, Dr. Maxford descends with all the graciousness of a blockbuster. I don't care what you think about it. I'm not going to... Quiet! Be... That's what I'm not going Quiet! to... Quiet! What's all this hogwash about a deadlock? Where's the verdict? Well, we can't Answer my question, you idiots! Don't ask us. Ask Bill Docker. He's been holding out all day. I'll hold out forever. A bunch of fat-headed, mealy-mouthed lame brains. Why, I wouldn't agree to a thing like that. Quiet! Quiet! Don't you know that our program is on the air? Don't you know that the whole of America is waiting for your verdict? That you're giving heart failure to the Western Hemisphere? What do you know about picking slogans anyway? Why, you wouldn't know a slogan if you slipped on one. 
if you gentlemen had the combined brains of a glowworm. But we're all agreed, Doctor. That is all except the brilliant Mr. Bildocker. Well, let me tell you something, Mr. Bildocker. I'm giving you just four seconds flat to get in line. Oh, no, you're not. I'm a member of this jury, and I'm going to vote the way I think is right if it takes ten years. I'm giving my services free to a bunch of suckers who fell for a lot of dribble that don't amount... Hello? Oh, we are, are we? Well, that's just lovely. The Maxwell House program is signing off the air, gentlemen, so just take your time. You can stay here till next Wednesday for all I care, or you can stay here till Hoboken freezes over. You have failed in our promise to the public. We have muffed the most dramatic advertising moment in the annals of commerce, and you made a fat head out of me. The next nitwit who takes talks to me about a contest had better duck before I swing on him. And in conclusion, gentlemen, and especially you, Mr. Bill Docker, let me say that I have seen far, far better heads on a glass of beer. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we bring to a close the 449th Maxwell House program. I wish I could have given you the winner's name, but I'm afraid it'll have to wait until next Wednesday. But after all, like the prisoner said when the hangman couldn't find the rope, no nooses, good news. Ah, <laughs> uh, turn it off, Betty. You all mm, may as night. well. How do you like that? To build you up to a big finish and then leave you hanging on a meat hook. Come on, I'll walk down with you. Oh, let's stay here and talk, Jimmy. It's so hot. That's a great way to spend an evening, sitting on the roof of a broken-down apartment house because I don't have the dough to do anything else. Oh, now, that's not so. It's cool up here. Besides, you wouldn't have missed listening to Maxford House for anything. A lot of good it did me. I wish they'd get that contest over one way or another. You start thinking about that $25,000, or even the second prize, the $10,000. Or even anything. You said it. And then when you've practically got it right in your mitts, they'll leave you there with your tongue hanging out. Did you really think you were going to win it, Jimmy? I haven't lost it yet, have I? Well, how many contests have you lost? Well, never mind. But every time I've lost one, I've doubled my chances on the next. It's what you call the law of averages. Like when I lost on how many peanuts are there in this window. Well, that doubled my chances on the you fill in the missing words contest. But you lost that one, too. So I was eight to one when I went into the limerick contest. But you didn't win it, Jimmy. Well, that's what makes it such a sense this time. Can't you just see it over there on Broadway? A great big electric sign... A guy swallows his coffee and it says, if you don't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. You gotta admit, that's some slogan. Uh-huh. Well, do you get the point? You understand what it means? Yes. Well, it's as clear as crystal. It isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. If you don't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee that keeps you awake, it's the bunk. I know what it says. I, I just don't understand it. Well, a kid or two could understand it. That Viennese doctor in the Sunday paper, he said that old idea is just a superstition. Instead of keeping you awake, coffee makes you sleep. Now, that's simple enough, isn't it? Coffee makes you sleep. It doesn't make me sleep. Well, he says it makes you sleep. He's a Viennese doctor. Jimmy, coffee keeps you awake. That's a well-known fact. Why are you so pig-headed I about it? I tell you, it's a new scientific theory. People only think coffee keeps them awake. Those kind of people are nervous wrecks and couldn't sleep anyway. So I say, if you don't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. Do you get it? I guess so. You guess so? What does it mean? It's the bunk. Yes. But do you get the play on words? Oh, Jimmy, you don't need a play on words. Anytime anybody tells you that coffee makes you sleep, you don't need a play on words to know it's the bunk. Don't you understand? Don't you understand? It's funny. It means if you don't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee that keeps you awake. It's the bunk. <laughs> the bed. The bed. With me, it's the coffee. Oh. Oh, Jimmy, you know I want you to win. I'm just as anxious as you are. And, gee, when you lose this one, just think how much better your chances are on the next one. Uh, 
fine chance anybody's got to win again anything if everybody going around saying coffee keeps you awake. All right, all right. Let's go downstairs and drink a gallon of coffee and see which one sleeps the longest. Oh, shut up. Jimmy! Yes, Mom? Mrs. Zimmerman says, will you please not talk so loud? He's trying to go to sleep. Oh, tell him to drink a cup of coffee. <laughs> and don't take hold up there. All right, Mom. <sighs> oh, Jimmy. Jimmy, you know, I'd like you just as much if you didn't win the old contest. Uh, that's because you're a sap. I am not a sap. Nix. Two can live cheaply as one, you know. Who wants to live cheaply? <laughs> Jimmy, what would you do if you won the $25,000? Stick in the bank. Wouldn't you even buy a little ring or something? Oh, what's the use of talking about it, honey? You know I'd spend it all on you and Mom. I'd get you a big, shiny car and a swell apartment. Anything you wanted. Well, we'd be happy, all right. Oh, we could be happy anyway. When you say that, you just make me mad. Now, look at my own mother. She's never been to the country for more than one day, never had any nice furniture. The dream of her life is a Davenport that turns into a double bed at night with a crank. <laughs> she's never had a decent dress except what she's made herself, and my old man, hmm, worn out at 48 and died because he couldn't afford a decent doctor. So I earn $26 a week and you want to get married. And I earn 18 and that makes 44. Sure, sure. And you've got your ma and I've got mine. And then we have a baby and you have to stop work and we're right back at the same old 26 again. <laughs> Except then there's you and the kid and the two old ladies. Oh, but Jimmy, don't... Nix, I mean... honey, Nix. They didn't give you wrists like that and hands like that to spoil them scrubbing floors for a dope like me. A man's got to look out for himself in this whole world. And a girl's got to do the same instead of fooling away her time on a guy like me. Unless he crashes through. Oh, you make me tired. Then go to bed. Well, that's a nice thing to say. You invite a girl over to your roof and, and then yell at her. Listen, if I wanted to be insulted, I could have gone out with a credit manager. Who's stopping you? Well, thank you very much. It's very nice to know just where I stand. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. Well, maybe I will go out with a credit manager. Good night. Uh, wait a minute. I'll help you with that skylight. Kindly let go of my arm and mind your own business. Oh, shut up. Why don't you shut up? Why don't you both shut up? Wise guy. Now, don't fall down the ladder. I've been down the ladder before. You fell down it before, too. Good night. Yeah. See you at the office. Aren't you going to take me? Hmm? Well, okay. Good night, Jimmy. Good night, honey. Good night, darling. Good night, darling. Good night! Hey, hey, Charlie. Yeah? I gotta go out in the hall to phone. Tip me off if the boss comes in, will you? Yeah. Well, you got a phone. Oh, the Maxford House Coffee Company. Maybe they picked the winner of that slogan contest by now. Oh, go ahead, Jimmy. If I see Waterbury, I'll warn you. Thanks. I'll be right back. <laughs> hey, Al, get a load of that. I wonder what one of those suckers would do if they ever did win anything. Well, it's very easy to find out. Huh? All you need is a telegram blank, some scissors, and some glue. You type it out, cut it in strips, and glue it in the blank. Holy mackerel. You mean like a gag? We work this gag on Jimmy? Sure. We'll pick up a telegram blank at lunchtime, leave it on his desk. He'll think he won 25,000 bucks. Oh, brother. Wait till you see his kisser when he reads it. We are happy to inform you that you have won the Maxford House Coffee Contest. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and uh, I was just wondering if the jury has reached a verdict yet on the contest. Oh, they haven't? Oh, in a minute, huh? Well, thanks a lot. Goodbye. Oh, I gotta win it. I gotta. You, uh, sent for me, Mr. Waterbury? Close the door, McDonald. 
You had a good lunch, McDonald? About the same as always. Nothing I... wrong with your appetite. You feel well. Why, sure. I, I feel fine, Mr. Waterbury. I've been watching you for some time, McDonald. Yes, sir. It used to make me kind of nervous. Not nervous anymore? Oh, no, sir. Look at this. Your morning worksheet. The comptometer you operate is almost foolproof, McDonald. Yet you managed to miss your total by a little matter of $11,000. Hmm. To what do you attribute this? I, uh, I, I don't know, Mr. Waterbury. Have you troubles at home, then? You play the races? Or are you simply incapable of doing your work? Well, I... Oh, I, I guess it's the contest, Mr. Waterbury. The Maxford House contest. It's been on my mind. I had no idea it was hurting my work. Oh, and how much is the prize? The first prize is $25,000. Ah, yes. I used to think about $25,000. And then one day I realized I would never have $25,000. And then suddenly another day, considerably later on in life, I realized something else. I may not be a rich man, but I'm not a failure either. Ambition is all right if it works, but no system could be right where only half of 1% were successes and all the rest were failures. No, I'm not a failure. I'm a success. And so are you. If you earn your own living and pay your own bills and look the world in the eye, I hope you win your $25,000, Mr. MacDonald. But if you shouldn't happen to, don't worry about it. Now get the heck back to your desk and try to improve your arithmetic. Yes, sir, Mr. Waterbury. Gosh, thanks a lot. That's all right. Hey. Hey, what's this? What's what? Well, this... This telegram. He got me. Kid just brought it in. What's it say? Huh? Wow! Wow! Betty! Betty, Betty, come here. Everybody come here. Honey, honey, quick. Everybody, come here. This telegram. Wow! Boys and girls, there comes a time in everybody's life when you just got to climb up on your desk and let her rip. Yippee! Hold on, everybody. I've just won the $25,000 Maxford House contest. Donald, that's wonderful. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Look, do you think I could use the company phone for just one call? Help yourself. Thanks, thanks. Hello? Hello? Oh, Astoria 55970. This is really going to be good. <laughs> that's where he lives. Hello? Hey, uh, oh, Mrs. Schwartz, I hate to bother you, but could I talk to my mother a minute? Yes, it's very important. Thank you, Mrs. Schwartz. I'll let you use my phone all you like when I get one. That's the neighbor. She's calling my mother. <laughs> hey, shh, shh, quiet now, quiet, quiet. Shh, quiet, everybody. Hello, Mom. Mom, now don't get scared. No, of course I'm not hurt. Mom, listen, listen. Are you a rich woman or a poor woman? No, I'm not crazy with the heat, Mom. Look. Mom, you can go out and buy yourself anything you want. New furniture, automobiles, new dresses. Oh, the electric washer. Yeah, yeah, the electric washer. You know the one you like, the green one? It's yours, Mom. Hey, Charlie. Yeah, this ain't so good. Yeah, and the Davenport, the one that turns into the double bed with the crank? It's yours, it's all yours, and anything else you want. Listen, guys, this is going to cost us one Davenport. I'll tell the world I got a raise. And how he got a raise. Look, we just got to put him out of his misery. Yeah, some gag. I didn't know he'd go nuts like this. Hey, look who's coming, Mr. Baxter. <laughs> yes, everything's wonderful, Ma. I'll, well, I'll call you back, honey. What's going on around here? What is this, football game? What are you doing up on that desk? Never mind what you're doing, you're fired. What's your name? James McDonald, sir, and this is my fiancée, Miss Casey. I'll let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> uh... Well, what's so funny? What is it? Waterbury, where are you? I demand an explanation. Mr. Baxter, I really see no point in firing this man. If anyone ought to be fired around here, it's me. Never mind the noble gestures. I'll decide what's what around here. Waterbury. Wait a minute. You don't understand what's happened, Mr. Baxter. These children are part of your family, your business family, and anything that happens to them happens to you. This young man you fired has just won the $25,000 Maxford House slogan contest. And in my opinion, that's ample reason for this uh, 
demonstration? Well, I should say it is. Congratulations, young man. Thanks. Now I suppose I'll have to hire you back at a fat increase. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always liked it here, Mr. Baxter, but a little raise would come in handy. And you really won the Maxford contest, eh? Here's a telegram. And what was your slogan? Oh, if you don't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee... It's the bunk. Well, it's a, it's a play on words. It means if you don't But sleep coffee it... keeps you awake. I know. Yeah, but don't you see this, this Vinnie Scientist? He it's says a that... very clever slogan, just the same. It isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. Excellent for the entire industry. Uh, you didn't happen to get any ideas for Baxter and Son while you were inventing slogans for our competitors, did you? You know... We make coffee, too. I certainly did, Mr. Baxter. I've been trying to give ideas to the advertising department ever since first came here, but they won't listen to me. Well, how would you like to come into my office and tell me a few of these ideas? Yes, sir. I'll, I'll wait here for you, Jim. Oh, no, no, no. You come, too, my dear. My, my. 25,000 smackers. <laughs> Mr. Baxter, Mr. Jenkins, Mr. Babcock, I, I tried to find a slogan for Baxter's coffee, too. One that would imply that Baxter's was the finest coffee made. The aristocrat of coffees. Aristocrat? Babcock, revise your thinking. Aristocrat? Oh, no, no, that's been used too much. Oh. And uh, what is your slogan for Baxter's, Jimmy? Baxter's, the blue blood coffee. It's bread and the bean. Ah. Uh. <laughs> uh. Jenkins... What's your reaction to that? Hmm. I'm mulling it over, Chief. The blue blood coffee. It's bread in the bean. That's it. Bread in the bean. It's wonderful. It is? I mean, it is. I can see it all over the nation. Jimmy, you're a genius. Thank you. And, uh, and now that you're a capitalist, I don't know how you'd feel about working for a living, but if you'd care to have a little office here... Oh, you mean all to himself, with his name on the door? Naturally, and with you as his oh. secretary and, of course, a reasonable increase in salary. I see no reason why we shouldn't shake hands on it now. Oh, Jimmy, quick, shake his hand. Sure, well, gee, gee, Mr. Baxter, thank you. That's, well, that's fine. I, I just don't know what to say. Well, I think you've said quite enough, my boy. Now, why don't you take the afternoon off while we get an office ready for you? I'd certainly appreciate it. Uh, do you suppose Betty could come along, too? Why, of course she can. And the little bird tells me just where you'll be headed for. Some little jewelry store, I'll wager, huh? <laughs> well, I guess you're not very far along, Mr. Baxter. But first of all, I think I'll go over to Maxford House and pick up that little check. Oh, yes, we'd almost forgotten about that, hadn't we? Oh, not me. I hadn't. Huh. Uh, what was your slogan for Maxford again? It isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. Isn't that marvelous? It isn't the coffee, it's But, the... uh, but, uh, it's bread in the bean. That's the one for my money. Functional. Precisely. Well, I don't know how to thank you all. Well, goodbye. Uh, goodbye. Uh, thank you goodbye. again, Mr. Baxter. <laughs> oh, not at all. I had my eye on that boy for some time. A big future. Immense. Jimmy. Hey, hey, wait a second, Jimmy. Hi, Harry. What's on your mind? Need a few bucks? Oh, hello, buddy. Jimmy, uh... Could I talk to you for a second, alone? Uh, could you beg it tomorrow, Harry? Gosh, we got to go over and pick up that check. They, they might think we weren't grateful or something. But that's just what I want to talk to you about. You see, Charlie and Al and I, we... Oh, uh... Uh, McDonald. Yes, sir? Uh, was that it's bread in the bean or just bread in the bean? Oh, it's, Mr. Baxter. You see, just bread in the bean might sound like bread in the bean. I'll fix that one. <laughs> might sound like bread and butter or something like that. Yes, naturally. I don't know why I didn't realize that. Is that all, sir? Of course. Uh, 
Have a nice time and don't spend all your money. We won't. Well, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. Ah, great mind. Oh, did you wish to speak to me, Pettipass? Uh, who, me? Oh, no, sir. I'm uh, just watching them go out. Well, well, it's been quite an exciting day, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it ain't hardly even begun yet. Before we present Act Two of Christmas in July, starring Dick Powell and Linda Darnell, Libby and I want you to decide an argument that's been going on between us. Oh, not really an argument, Mr. Kennedy. It's a debate. Well, whatever you call it, the question Libby and I have been discussing is... Do women dress to please men or other women? I say to please you men. But just try asking a man to describe what a pretty girl is wearing. He can tell you the color of her hair, whether she has good-looking legs and nice hands... But uh, Maybe he can't describe her dress, but he'd know it all right if it were unbecoming. Well, to be honest, there's one thing a man does notice, and that's the color. Now, I saw a girl in a red dress the other day, and... Oh, you see? You've admitted my point. But seriously, it is important to wear becoming colors and to have everything you wear look color-fresh and lovely. That's why I talk so much about Lux Care for Colors, Mr. Kennedy. Just a booby trap for us men, huh, Libby? <laughs> well, not entirely, Mr. Kennedy. It's pretty hard on the budget if colors fade or run in washing. But here are the facts. Washing tests have proved that gentle Lux Care keeps colors lovely up to three times longer. That's a big difference. Indeed it is. Gentle Lux flakes are safe for anything safe in plain water. You see, when you use harsh wash day methods like rough handling or rubbing, strong soaps and too hot water, well, delicate colors can't stand that kind of treatment. So whether you're dressing to please the man in your life or impress other women, or to pamper your own pocketbook, the moral is... Stick to gentle Lux flakes for colors. We both agree on that point, Mr. Kennedy. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Two of Christmas in July, starring Dick Powell as Jimmy and Linda Darnell as Betty, with Raymond Walburn as Maxford. It's 45 minutes later, and blissfully unaware that they're victims of a practical joke, Jimmy and Betty are waiting in the reception room of the Maxford House Coffee Company. And the office of the president, Dr. Maxford, is percolating furiously to the announcer of his radio program. Contest? Con what good are contests anyway? Why, they make you a million enemies. And all, you, all they prove is that you've got too much money in the first place. Since you can't afford to toss a large chunk of it to some sap who probably never had a cup of your coffee in his life, but exists on goat's milk. Oh, it's deplorable, doctor. Has the jury reached a verdict yet? I don't know, and I don't care. Uh, well, maybe if they could hold off until our next broadcast. Oh, no, no, that would be the intelligent thing to do. That would be useful to the company that feeds and clothes them and sends their children to college so that they can grow up to be dumbbells like their parents. Well, well, what, well, what do you want? The contest winner's here, Dr. Maxford. All right, bring him in. Yes, sir. Well, how do you like that? Then they've reached a decision. How do I know? I'm only the president. Why should that jury of imbeciles bother to tell me anything? I'll have their heads for this. Why, I'll... I'll well, come in. Well, how do you do, sir? I suppose I have the honor of addressing Dr. Maxford, I presume. 
Yes, and this is Don Harper, our announcer. And this is my fiance, Miss Casey. Well, it's certainly a pleasure meeting you. How, how do you do? Congratulations. Thanks. Here's the telegram, Dr. Maxford. Yeah? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Great pleasure to inform you. Uh, $25,000. Kindly call and pick up your check. Oh, you, are my, uh, you aren't by any chance a coffee drinker, are you? Yes, sir. I certainly am. Well, that's surprising. You don't by any chance drink my coffee, do you? Well, no, sir. Uh, you see, we're both employed over at... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that sounds more natural. Yeah. But we could easily change. Sure. Uh, I think it would only be fair. Oh, don't bother, Mr. McDonald. I wouldn't want anybody to think that I had any base commercial motives in this, all this. Uh, I just... Uh, I just give my money away because I can't sleep at night. I have a guilty conscience. But that's my slogan. That's the one I won with. Oh, well, I guess you know all about that. A guilty conscience, eh? I can see that my money is well spent. That is a wonderful slogan. Oh, no, sir. Uh, the slogan is, if you can't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. I beg your pardon? It's a... <laughs> it's a pun. It certainly is. Why, I, I can hardly wait to give you my money. Miss Slidewell. Yes, sir. Bring me that contest check. I don't know whether you've ever had anything like this happen to you, Doctor. But to be poor and unknown one minute and sitting on top of the world the next minute, that's a feeling nobody can ever take away from me. Oh, but it's more than that. It's the knowledge that Jimmy won this contest because he thought up a better slogan than anyone else. You see, I used to think I had good ideas and that I'd get somewhere in the world, but, well, now I know it. And that's what I want to thank you for, Dr. Maxford, even more than the money. Here's the check, Dr. Maxford. Uh, how do you spell your name, young man? Is it M-C or M-A-C? M-A-C, sir. James MacDonald. You know, it's, uh, it's customary under these circumstances to have a few photographers present or even a microphone or reporter. But since we do everything here on a highly non-commercial basis, I merely take pleasure in giving you this small check written out with my heart's blood, and that's all there is to it here. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Maxford. I... I don't know how I could ever find words to... Never mind them. Just uh, goodbye and good luck. Oh, Jimmy, just look at it. Just look. Oh, boy. Now, Miss Slidewell, get me Bill Docker. I tried to, sir. When I got the check, he isn't in his office. Well, where is he? Down in the lobby of the yo-yo? <laughs> you find him and tell him... Oh, never mind. I'll find him myself. When I... It isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. Jumping Jerusalem! <laughs> You know what? We could get everything here, the ring and everything, all in this one store. Uh -huh. Can I help you? Oh, that, that diamond ring there in the showcase. Oh, it's so beautiful, Jimmy. Holy smoke, I should say so. But here's a ring of more practical dimensions. Fiery little devil, isn't it? Does a magnifying glass come with it? I was only trying to be helpful, that's all. Mm. It's immaterial to me how big a stone you look at. Ah, uh, fresh guy. Here, what do you think of this, for instance? Boy, how much is that one? $12,000. We oh. wouldn't care to spend that much. No, that's what I thought. But I could have felt like it. Oh, you could? Well, that puts everything on an entirely different basis. Now, let oh, me see. Oh, Jimmy, uh... I'm in love with that one. There in the case, Ah, uh, yes, well, there's no denying it's a lovely little rock. Well, then I guess we'll take it. Yes, sir. Of course, I haven't got the cash with me, uh -huh. but I... Uh-huh. I got a check here. And, uh, may I see the check? Sure. Oh, he just won the Maxford House contest. See, isn't it wonderful? Well, I'll be... Mr. Schmidt! Mr. Schmidt! Oh, for heaven's sake, congratulations. I might say 25,000 congratulations. <laughs> yes. Mr. Schmidt, kindly cut a groove, will you? Now, if you'll watch closely, I merely remove the two cushions, press the button marked night, and with one easy push of the finger, it changes into a double bed. Comes morning, a turn of the crank, and presto. 
It assumes the characteristics of the finest Davenport money can buy. It's called the Davenola, Mr. McDonald. Price, one ninety-eight fifty uh, plus tax. We'll take it. What a bargain you're getting. <laughs> I beg your pardon? Oh, this is Mr. Schindel, the owner of the establishment. Congratulations. And the check is good. I just phoned the Maxford company. Well, how soon do you think you could send the Davenola? Mrs. McDonald's been waiting for years. It's there already. Make it a special, Hillbanger. Do you suppose your mother would like one? Oh, oh no, thank you, Jimmy. We haven't got room. Well, we got to get her something. We got to get everybody something. Well, say, Mom's been wanting a new iron for a long time. She's got it. Compliments of shindles. Free, she's got it. <laughs> Betty, we got... We got to get something for Mrs. Schwartz and a doll for Sophie. And oh, yeah. Then there's old Mr. Zimmerman and the Casey kids. Oh, and... but, Jimmy, we've spent so much, honey. I mean, the ring and the silver fox jacket and... Nonsense. The, the, de- the Finnegan kids and Pentrolman Goldstein. Well, Tony Marzeppo. And Mr. Romanoff. Look, you just better work up one side of the street and down the other. Wonderful. Okay, Mr. Schindel, where's the toy department? <laughs> the trucks, Mr. McDonald, all loaded. They'll shoot right uptown with everything. Gosh, thanks. And for you and Miss Casey, a taxi cab. Also compliments of Schindel. Hillbinder, put in the other package. Yes, sir. Oh, how can we ever thank you? And that's not all. From Schindel's fernery, a beautiful orchid for the lady. Oh, Jimmy, look. An orchid? Oh, oh look, Mr. Schindel, I, I don't like buying all those things without paying for them. Nonsense, Mr. McDonald. We know an honest man when we see one, don't we, boy? Well, yes, <laughs> well, we do. well Mr. Schindel, why don't you take the check and, and give me the change? Uh, we should have change for such a check. Well, I'll, I'll bring you the money as soon as I put the check in the bank. Well, who's in a hurry? Drop in any time. Drop in tomorrow. <laughs> I certainly will, sir. Well, goodbye. Well, the taxi's all ready. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, come in and see us again. We will. Goodbye and thanks again. Goodbye. Ah, what a boy. What a business. Oh, I'm so happy, Jimmy. I feel kind of good myself. Can you see the faces on everybody when we get there? Yeah, like, like Christmas in July. Well, Happy New Year. Oh, it will be a Happy New Year, too, darling, from now on. Everything new and clean and different. And just think, Jimmy, no more worry. No more worry. That's the only terrible thing about being poor. Say, what kind of a house are we going to have? Any kind you like. How about a penthouse? <laughs> they come kind of high, don't they? Oh, I was... On... <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jimmy, you fool. Will you love me always? Of course I will. For always and always? I don't know why not. Might be a long time. Might be uh, an awful long time. I hope so. The longer, the sweeter, baby. Hmm. Gosh. Oh, gosh. I just don't know what to think, Mr. Zimmerman. Buy anything you want, he says. An automobile, new dresses, furniture, even a Davenport. Anything. I know. My knifing, he drinks two once in a while. Oh, but Jimmy, he never takes a drink unless something terrible has happened. Mentally lost his job. But he said he got a raise. A raise? Who gives raises these days? Listen, that noise in the street. What is it? Maybe a funeral. Look, right 
right in front of the house. Such a congregation. Look, there's Betty. She's bringing him home in a taxi cab. Well, don't you worry, Mrs. McDonald. Maybe just a little accident. A leg, maybe, or a finger. Mom! Hey, Mom! There he is. Come on down. You too, Mr. Zimmerman. He's got presents for everybody. Get Mrs. Schwartz. Jimmy boy, Jimmy. Drunk as a lord in the middle of the afternoon. I never thought I'd live to see it. Never. Hey, now take it easy. There's something here for everybody. And what isn't here soon will be three truckloads. Wait a second. Oh, here's her doll, Sophie. Hey, where's Sophie? Jimmy! Here, darling, in this box. Hey, somebody find my mother. And, and look at this, everybody. Look, it's two carrots, too. Jimmy! Mom. Jimmy! Jimmy, Mom. oh, what's happened? Are you drunk? Are you hurt? Mom. Jimmy, what's going on? Mom, but... Mom, now, now, look at me, Mom. I'm fine. And everything I told you is true. The Davenport's on the way here and a lot of other stuff. Special trucks. Oh, wait till you see, Mom. Oh, then you did get a raise. Oh, glory. Mom, Mom, sit down. Sit down on the curb. It doesn't matter. I'll get you a dozen new dresses. Yes. Look, Mom, here's a check. $25,000. Jimmy, oh, oh. Hold on to it, and I'll be right back. Hey, somebody find the ice cream wagon. Free ice cream, kids. Free ice cream for everybody. <laughs> Oh, now look, Bill Docker, get wise to yourself. If the slogan's good enough for the 11 of us, who are you to say that it smells? You smell. One more crack out of you, Arm Bruce, and I'll bust you right on the nose. Sit down. Both of you now look, Bill Docker. The public was promised they'd hear us announce the slogan winner last night on the radio. So we couldn't agree and we didn't announce it. We got to announce it by next Wednesday, and I think it's high time we talk this over. In a nice, friendly way, of course. Talk what over? Everybody but you says that this slogan is just what the doctor ordered. Maxford's magnificent and mellow. It's brief, it's smooth, it's pungent. It's putrid. And just why is it putrid, Mr. Bill Docker? Because it smells. Well, well, so there you are, Bill Docker, and all the rest of you playing poker, I suppose. Now, now that the contest is over, I wonder if you would be kind enough to go get back to your offices and try and sell a little coffee for a change, or am I becoming too commercial? And while I'm on the subject, I just want to tell you that of all the groups of fatheads that have ever had the misfortune to gaze upon, you take the lard pail. And what about the contest? Well, what about it? Now that you've killed it, what do you want to do? Hold a postmortem on it? Don't you want us to choose a winner? You did choose a winner. Who chose a winner? We certainly did not choose a winner. Well, you certainly did choose a winner. You, if ever, ever... What do you mean you didn't choose a winner? I mean we haven't reached a verdict yet. Well, you certainly have reached a verdict yet. And uh, what are you trying to do? Stand there and tell me you haven't reached a verdict yet? We have not. Then, then why did you send him a telegram telling me he'd won? Answer me that. Send who a telegram? McTavish. We didn't send any tel... You didn't... Who's McTavish? You didn't send any... Well, you certainly did send a telegram. <coughs> Jumping Jerusalem! Get my lawyer! Which one? Schlummel, Schlimmel, Abercrombie, and Schlitz! Oh, no, no, get no, the police! Yes, no, you sir. can't do that. Quiet! No, you Quiet! And get me Schindler Brothers. The important thing at a moment like this is to remain cool and collected. Collected! Holy Moses! Call the bank! What's the matter with everybody? Call my bank! <laughs> Oh, look, Ethel, Jimmy, it's so wonderful I could cry. It's the best time they've ever had in all their lives, the whole darn neighborhood. Look See what at money it. can do, honey? Things hey, like this. Uh, well, get another load. It's all on me. Oh, you didn't forget anyone, Jimmy. A present for everybody. Everybody but yourself. Well, what I want a present for, I've got you. Thank you, darling. Look, 
Here comes the truck with Mom's staff for it. Oh, she'll love it, Jimmy. She's... Say, Jimmy, isn't that Mr. Schindel getting out of the truck? Oh, but he didn't have to come down here himself. Come on, baby, let's find Mom. Take it all away, boys. Everything you see. A bunch of thieves and robbers. Hey, what's the big idea grabbing my scooter? It happens to be my scooter. What do you mean? Jimmy McDonald gave it to me. And when I get through with that low-life McDonald... Yeah, yeah what's going on around here? Yeah, arrest them, officer. All these people, arrest them. Who do you think you are, Hitler? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you all this merchandise. It's the property of Schindel Brothers. And who's got it now? You got eyes. These loafers. Enjoying themselves with some of my best numbers. You, young lady, come back with that dolly buggy. Goldie, I don't have to, do I? <laughs> now, beat it, kid, beat it. Have a good time. I tell you, everything is stolen, down to the last pogo stick. Stolen? What's stolen? Grab him, officer, that lowlife. He comes to my store with a phony check, and when I ask phony him Phony to... check? Lowlife. He ain't even had the decency to run away. Hey, now listen, you. Officer, arrest that man. Arrest him? You starting that again. Now calm down and tell me what he's supposed to have done. I've been telling you. He's supposed to walk into my store and flash a sour check in my face. He's supposed to walk out with a diamond ring, which I suppose I don't see on that young woman's finger, I suppose. And a nice fur coat, which I suppose she ain't showing off in spite of the weather. Mm. Was Jimmy in his store, Betty? Well, sure he was. So was I. Jimmy offered him the check, but he didn't want to... Rubber take... checks he offers me yet. Who says it's a rubber check? Are you nuts? Dr. Maxford, the Maxford house. Maybe he's nuts. Listen, Dr. Maxford gave Jimmy that check himself. I saw him. If Jimmy says somebody gave him a check, then somebody gave him a check. Now, Mom, well, Mom, take it easy. It's well, just a little mistake somewhere. Well, okay, I... okay, Shindle. Now, go on home. Think it over. Listen, you, I'll, I'll break you in so many pieces. You... <laughs> All of you, you're all witnesses. This officer refuses to arrest you. you. Are you trying to intimidate an officer in the pursuit of his duty? Who's trying to imitate anybody? <laughs> I only want... I want my... Officer, officer, arrest that man. That's been tried before. <laughs> Dr. Maxford, have you... Have you the nerve to even speak to me, young man? What are you talking about? I just want you to tell these people that you gave me a check. What check? What check? Why, why the one you gave him in your office. Let me see it. Certainly, here. Oh, that check. Well, now I feel better. Wait a minute. A crook? Destroying evidence? Who are you, you burglar? Schindel, you schnook. <laughs> Officer. I want all these people thrown in jail. Listen, Mussolini, Dr. I'm not Maxford, gonna... Dr. Maxford, if there's been something wrong, why don't you... Why did you give me the check? Why did you send me the telegram? I never sent you a telegram in my life. I never heard of you. Well, you're not going to say you didn't give me the check. That was entirely a mistake. I suspected you the minute you walked my office. You mean I didn't win? You know perfectly well you didn't win. Oh, Jimmy. But, Jimmy. but, gee, I... I... Well... Wait a minute. He's entirely responsible. This Maxford. This is an honest boy, ladies and gentlemen. And this numbskull here gives him a check. I should take back the merchandise I sold in good faith? Drive it. Take the Davenport up to the ladies' apartment. Enjoy it in good health, my friend. A present from Dr. Maxwell. I'll see you in Hoboken before I pay for anything. And I'll see you in court, where I guarantee you will pay for everything. <laughs> well, I pass the ice cream cones around with love from Dr. Maxwell. He's paying for everything, including court costs. Well, there's, there's one present I have for you. 
Here! Yeah, oh, obviously. I'm assaulted with a bloody nose yet. <laughs> okay, okay, the two of you. I'll teach you to make trouble on my beat. You're going for a ride, both of you. Come on. Jimmy, where have you been, darling? Oh, just walking. Everybody's gone now. I've been sitting here on the steps waiting for you. I couldn't face him, Betty. Look, supper's ready, Jimmy. Been ready for an hour. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't matter, honey. You can't lose something you never had. I don't want his old ring or his old skunk. You know, what I can't figure out is who sent that telegram. Jimmy. Hmm? Is, isn't that Harry coming down the street? And Charlie? Yeah, they're carrying something. Well, it looks like... It's... It's a Davenport. Well, there's Al, too. Hiya, Jimmy. Betty. Well, what in the world are you all doing? We, uh, we got something for you, Jimmy. It's a kind of Davenport. Uh, is this the kind you more wanted? Uh, the crank fits on here, and when you turn it, it, it makes it to a full-size double bed at night. The, the guy says it works swell. Oh, I don't know what you had to go get that for. Well, we, we kind of hoped it would make up for that phony telegram we rigged up. It was supposed to be a gag, Jimmy. Just a gag. It wasn't a very funny joke. We're sorry, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy... Oh, I, I see. I, I, I get it. Well, thanks for the Davenport. You can break it upstairs if you want it. Oh, gee, thanks, Jimmy. We was awful worried. We figured maybe you'd be sore or something. No, I'm, I'm not sore. If you're going up now, tell my ma I won't be home for supper. Sure, we'll tell her, Jimmy. Okay, guys, let's lug her up. Jimmy, where are you going? I don't know. May I uh, go with you? Mm -hmm. No, if you want to. It, it doesn't matter. I guess nothing matters anymore. Before Dick Powell and Linda Darnell return for Act Three of Christmas in July, Libby wants you to listen to something. See if you can tell the difference between these two sounds. Yes, one's short and one's long, but that's not all. Listen again carefully. That's right. The second one lasted three times longer than the first. Now, that's exactly what can happen with your undies. If you wash them the wrong way, they soon look old and drab. But if you use Lux Flakes, they can stay lovely three times as long. Quite a difference, isn't there? But it's true. Actual washing tests proved it. We purposely washed pretty slips and nighties the wrong way. You know, with strong soap and too hot water. You should have seen them after 30 washings of that kind. Half their color was gone, and some of the straps and seams were frayed and pulled apart. But then we washed the same kind of undies in gentle, lukewarm Lux suds, and they came out beautifully, still colorful and lovely and new-looking. Now, I know you don't want to ruin perfectly good undies proving to yourself what wrong washing can do, so take it from me. Don't risk your undies in soaps that are strong. Lux keeps them new-looking three times as long. Now, our producer, Mr. Lionel Barrymore. After the play, we'll have a chat with our stars. But now the curtain rises on the third act of Christmas in July, starring Dick Powell and Linda Darnell with Raymond Walburn. A few hours ago, Jimmy McDonald had $25,000 in cash and a couple of million in self-confidence. Right now, his physical assets total about 95 cents, and spiritually, well, there's more starch in your laundry bag. 
Jimmy's wandered all the way downtown. Force of habits brought him now to his office building. Betty's still at his side, and she says nothing when he takes the elevator to the floor marked Baxter and Son. Who that? Oh, that you, Mr. Jimmy? Hello, Sam. Uh, careful, sir, you don't slip on the floor. I've just been mopping up. Oh, evening, Miss Casey. Hello, Sam. Funny how different an office seems at night. <laughs> well, I always say how funny this office looks in the daylight. Forget to turn out the light in Dr. Baxter's office, oh, Sam? Oh, no, sir, no, sir. I don't forget. Mr. Baxter, he's still in there, conniving away on something or another. Oh. Well, you hoped he'd be here, didn't you, Jimmy? Oh, and in a way, I guess I hoped he wouldn't be. Oh, why don't you wait and tell him in the morning? Sure glad to hear about your good luck, Mr. Jimmy. Uh, you wouldn't be needing a valley now, would you? No, thanks, Sam. Well, sir, I guess you're right. Pride ride before fall. But it sure ain't everybody that hits the jackpot while he's young and all. You said it. Oh, look, a kitten. Yeah. Hello, cat. Sam, is it good luck or bad luck when a black cat crosses your path? Well, miss, I always say that depends on what happens afterwards. <laughs> you said it, Sam. And it sure don't happen to everybody, sir. Oh, uh, your new office is ready for you, Mr. Jimmy. Yeah, so I see. You see the dough? The painter man just got through. You see what it says on the door? Let's look at it, Jimmy, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Mr. James McDonald. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, careful. I guess the paint's still wet. I, um, I guess it wouldn't hurt if we went in and sat down for a minute. Oh, it was going to be nice, wasn't it? Oh. Oh, now Jimmy. stop it, honey. Come on, cut it out now. Oh, please, Betty. Well, uh, may I come in? Oh. I heard you talking to Sam. Oh, uh, I was just coming in to see you, uh, Mr. Baxter. We stopped in to take a look at the office. And... Well, I uh, I hope you like it. Oh, it's it's just lovely, Mr. Baxter. Yes, it isn't every young man who gets his own office and a private secretary at your age. A great many of them, I'm afraid it would go to their heads. But I think you have your feet uh, pretty solidly on the ground. Thank you, Mr. Baxter. Oh, I mean it sincerely. Mr. Jenkins and I discussed our little meeting at great length. And I want you to know that we were genuinely impressed. Genuinely so. Well, that's certainly nice to hear, Mr. Baxter. I... Yes, the more we thought about your ideas, the more aware we became of their uh, pungency, their brevity, of their uh, sparkle. Thank you, sir. It's uh, certainly nice yes, to hear. Yes, you I... have a genuine talent for slogans. Must be like having an ear for music. Now, take me. I sing flat. And you, on the other hand, are a born sloganeer. It's bread in the bean. Hot ciggity. Well, it, uh, it's certainly wonderful to hear, uh, Mr. Baxter. I, I kind of got something on my mind, but, but you've certainly made me feel a lot better. I'll wager he has something on his mind. Huh, Miss Casey? Oh, it's really not what you're probably thinking, Mr. Baxter. Oh? Well, it's, it's just this, sir. Uh, now, look. Uh, if my ideas were good this afternoon, then they're still good, aren't they? I mean, well, uh, they'd have to be. They're still the same ideas. Well, of course they are. Of course they are. I'm not quite sure that I receive your thought. Uh, well, I mean, if you thought the ideas were good this afternoon, you still think they're good, don't you? Well, of course I do. Why? Well, I, I, I mean, since they were good and, and they're still good, they'd have to be good. And then it wouldn't make so much difference if I... It wouldn't make any difference. Oh, any difference if I hadn't won the contest, the Maxford House contest, would it? Of course it would make a difference. Oh, it would? Well, certainly it would. Well, Why? I'm no genius, but uh, I didn't hang on to my father's money by backing my own judgment, you know. I make mistakes every day, sometimes several times a day. I've got a whole warehouse full of mistakes. Well, I should say it would make a difference. 
You see, I think your ideas are good because they sound good to me. But I know your ideas are good because you won this contest over millions of others. Yes, but you see, Mr. Baxter, I... It's, uh, it's what you might call commercial insurance. It's like a racehorse. If a horse wins the Kentucky Derby, well, then you, you, you back him for the Preakness. But I didn't win it. The Preakness? The contest. I didn't win anything. It was a joke. A joke? That's what they meant it to be. Who did? Oh, some of the fellows. Oh, they didn't mean any harm. They, they just wanted to see how I'd look when I got the news, I guess. Well, just you give me their names and we'll see how they look when they get some news. Oh, I wouldn't care to do that, uh, Mr. Baxter. I... Oh, well, it doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? After I spend a whole afternoon listening to a lot of baloney entirely predicated upon the winning of this contest and, and, and giving you this office. Oh, but Mr. Baxter, how about it's bread and the bean, the blue blood coffee? Well, I don't know what about it. We'll find that out. There's plenty of time for that. But I won't be made a fool of, you understand. I can't go around handing out private offices and secretaries on the strength of a practical joke that I personally consider far from funny. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, it'll be kind of hard to face that gang tomorrow from back of the old desk. It would be just as hard to face her from in here if you didn't belong here. Uneasy lies the head He that... does belong in here, Mr. Baxter. Well, what is the joke this time? He belongs in here because he thinks he belongs in here. Because he thinks... Oh, that that's just... all very deep dish and highfalutin, but far from practical. It is practical, Mr. Baxter. It's the most practical idea you ever had. He belongs in here because he thinks he has ideas. He belongs in here until he proves himself or fails. And then somebody else belongs in here until he proves himself or fails. And then somebody else after him and so on and so on for always. Oh, I... I don't know how to put it into words like Jimmy could, but... All he wants, all any of them wants, is a chance. A chance to show, to, to find out what they've got while they're still young and burning, like a, like a shortcut or a stepping stone. Oh, I, I, I know they're not going to succeed, at least most of them aren't. They'll all be like Mr. Waterbury soon enough, but most of them anyway. But, but they won't mind it. They, they'll find something else, and they'll be happy because they had their chance. Because it's, it's one thing to muff a chance when you get it, but, but it's another thing never to have had a chance. Oh, please, Mr. Baxter, his, his name's already on the door. Well, if anything so... decided me, that would be it. Oh, Mr. Baxter. Now, you've talked enough. Desks have already been moved and the name has been painted on, as you so skillfully point out. So we'll try it for a very short time. And at no advance in salary, you understand? Yes, sir. And for a very short time. Yes, sir. After all, this is a business institution and not a, a cultural or governmental project. Oh, you'll never be sorry, Mr. Baxter. Yes, well, I'm a little bit sorry already, so just let it go at that. Good night. Try to be on time in the morning. Oh, Shaw. Sure. Jimmy, Jimmy. You were wonderful. You'll always be wonderful. I'm just a little bit leery about me. Oh, don't talk like that, Jimmy. This is the chance of a lifetime, darling, and you know you've got what it takes. You know it. I don't know. I never did know it. I got that telegram, and I don't know anymore. I'm like Mr. Baxter. That's why I understood him and didn't say anything. See? Well, even if it shouldn't work out, it's, it's brought us together, darling, and that's something. Listen, I've still got the ring to prove it, and you can't back out of me now, or I, I'd sue you. <laughs> We've plenty to be thankful for, Jimmy. Oh, you poor kid. Yeah. Well, let's let's go. Oh. Hmm. There's a cat again. Oh, maybe he brought us luck, Jimmy. Maybe. Good night, Sam. Good night, sir. Good night. <laughs> oh. What's so funny? 
I was just thinking how ridiculous Dr. Maxford looked this afternoon arguing with Mr. Schindel. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that poor old buzzard. <laughs> Daughter of all the colossal gall. What do you mean by coming to my home and waking me up? I got some good news for you. It took a little doing, but I finally won those clocks over. What a jury. Well, it just doesn't matter anymore. This has been the stupidest, the most asinine, the most infuriating. But wait till you hear the winning slogan. But I don't wish to hear the slogan. I don't wish to hear any w another word about the whole mess. Pick your winner, send him a check, and tell him to go soak his head. Listen to this. Is this good? If you don't sleep at night, it isn't the coffee, it's the bunk. Oh, Doctor. It's what you call a pun, and believe me, some pun. We just sent the winner a telegram, a guy by the name of James McDonald, and... Why, Dr. Maxford, how pale you look. <laughs> And that was Dick Powell and Linda Darnell in Christmas in July, along with the incomparable compare skills of Lionel Barrymore. Lovely. Well, that is it from me for this extra edition of Attaboy Clarence. As I say, I'm sorry that my release schedule was held up by illness. I had such good intentions. But you can never plan for these things. If you'd like more episodes to accompany you on your travels in the next week, then you can sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret and gain access to over 60 bonus editions along with ebooks and previews and commentaries and things. I've just released a movie commentary for It's a Wonderful Life there, so you can download that now. Plus, you'll be cheering up a very poorly boy if you do sign up, so thank you. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in. I'll be back in the new year for more classic movie and old-time radio goodness. But until then, take very good care of yourselves. Don't kiss people with the flu. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.